0: Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And you made it back to church. Give yourself a round of applause. You did it. You're here, and you're ready to study the Bible with me. Luke chapter number 11 today is our text. Luke chapter number 11 in a sermon series we've entitled Glow, Where the Light Meets the Darkness. And today's sermon is entitled Blaze, Beware the Darkness of Religion. Beware The darkness of religion. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how could you call religion dark, Pastor? Aren't you a Christian teacher? And the answer is yes. But I do believe there's a difference between a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what the world would deem as religion. And today, we're going to talk about this controversial statement that religion only leads to darkness Whereas a relationship with God through Christ leads to everlasting life and leads to light. Now, let's see if I can prove that proposition, that concept, that idea through our study of Luke chapter 11, verse 37 and following. Now, I also want to begin with um, a concept we call bad religious experiences. Now, I know that you enjoy, I know that you love coming to Southern Hills, Okay, so, you missed your mark there, people. <laughs> I thought we've covered this multiple times. If you're new here, you, you were supposed here, here's what, I say, I know you love coming to Southern Hills, and you say, amen, or you shout, or something like this, yes. Thank you. Let's try it again. Now, I know you love coming to Southern Hills, I know, I know, me too, me too. That was so honest and genuine. It felt felt real. It really did. But even though we enjoy coming to a church like this and we've enjoyed our experience here, um, each and every one of us could probably point back to a bad religious experience that somewhat darkened our view, not only of religion, but of the church, not only of the church, but of God Himself. Bad religious experiences do this, and uh, I'm going to share one of my own. I've had many bad religious experiences, some that would curl your toes, some that would make you sit up straight and, and perk your ears, some that are tragic and some that are funny. I'm going to share one that is a little bit funnier today. A bad religious experience that my wife and I, when we were very first married, young at the time, and we went to an Orthodox church um, on a Sunday. Now, if you've never been to an Orthodox church before, it's much more formal than what you see here today. You're not going to shout and scream. There's not necessarily maybe uh, going to be a lot of humor. Um, but they do believe in God and they believe in Jesus Christ, and and um, and many are followers of His. But in this particular case, there was a religious ritual that I was unaware of, and I made a faux pas. See, I was in the foyer, and inside that foyer, there was an ancient, beautiful Bible that was on display. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've been trained in theology, and I've gone to grad school and studied in seminary, and so I understand not only what these books are and where they are and how they're valued, I also know how to treat these books, um, and I've I've studied in in this way. I approached this beautiful Bible, and there was no barrier, no blockade, no red ropes that kept people from it. And some of you that come from maybe an orthodox background know this is probably a no-no. I didn't know. And I approached it and I said, oh, man, this is great. Nobody was around, you know. Walked up. And I opened it up. And I began to very carefully, you know, page by page, just look. And all of a sudden from behind, I heard, excuse me, sir. I turned around. Don't touch The Bible, I got in trouble for reading the Bible in church. And, and that gave me a moment to turn around and look at him, and I said, I wish I could tell you in the story that I was clever and I knew exactly what to say and spit right back at him, but I didn't. I had no idea. I turned ghostly white. I hated being told that I was wrong and I was embarrassed, and then I stepped back and I said, I'm sorry, you know, and he said, that's fine. Just be more respectful, and I turned around I walked in the service. I sat there the whole time thinking, I've totally embarrassed myself. Now maybe you've had a religious experience where somebody of very great importance has told you how you have embarrassed yourself or you've embarrassed your family or maybe you've embarrassed your community or maybe you've embarrassed God because you did not perform the religious ritual or you were not religiously ritualistic enough for that community of religious people. And you did something that was different outside of the rules they established for themselves. And that's the problem with religion. The problem with religion is there are so many unwritten rules, it's hard to keep up. Like, there was no sign, there was no blockade, there was no bar. I didn't know I was supposed to touch the Bible, but it's unwritten, and the longer you're around that religious situation, you're supposed to kind of absorb these unwritten rules, and some of you grew up in religious systems where you had to somehow get to know all of the unwritten rules and follow them perfectly, and if you did, you were considered moral, You were considered good, you were considered better than everybody else, and deep inside you felt good about it. If you were good at it, you became self-righteous, and if you were bad at it, you were pushed out of the flock. This is what religious does, and what we see here in this passage is Jesus is actually about to address these type of religious people. You know, as a whole, life has choices, and one of the big choices of life is whether or not you're going to go God's way or your way. And you arrive at a place in life where you realize, okay, I was created, God has a plan for me. And somebody like me, or somebody like a good parent or a grandparent says, are you going to do things your way, or are you going to do things God's way? And you've made a decision. That's probably why most of you are here today, because you decided, I'm going on God's way. Okay, the problem with God's way is that once you go on God's way, you travel that path a little bit, and you're faced with a new fork in the road. Now the fork is in the road is the road of religion or the road of relationship. You've already chosen. I don't doubt it of you. So many of you in this room have already decided, I'm going God's way. If I were to say, how many of you want to go God's way? Most of you say, hey, amen, even if you're not sure what that means. Hey, amen, I'm going God's way. And now that you've gone God's way, there's another fork in the road, and it is, are you going to go the way of religion or the way of relationship, because you can follow God by going religion, or you can follow God by developing a relationship. There are dark consequences of attempting to follow God through a way of religion rather than a way of relationship. And Jesus addresses all four of these dark consequences in the passage we're about to study. If you're ready to hear the four dark consequences of following the way of religion, give me an amen. Amen. All right, what are they? What are the four dark consequences of this road of religion? Number one, down the road of religion, number one, preferences are elevated. I'm gonna say number one, you say preferences are elevated. Number one, preferences are elevated, meaning this, meaning this. It doesn't matter what the Bible says, whatever your preference is, you establish as a religious rule, and you elevate it to the same level as God's Word. So that if you ask a question like, well, where does the Bible say that? They'll say, well, the Bible doesn't say it, but there's a principle in there somewhere. And they elevate, religious people elevate their preferences to the same level as God's Word. God says, don't lie. They say, I don't want you to wear that toenail color. You see? They elevate their preferences. And one of those preferences that the people Jesus dealt with was preferences as it relates to what you eat and how you eat it. Now let me ask you a question. Does God care a tremendous amount about what you eat and how you eat it? What do you think? What you're going to see here is according to Jesus, no. Look at what it says. Look what it says in the passage. Lots of rules for religious people. Look at verse 37. And Jesus was speaking, and as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to his home for a meal. Remember, the passage ended in verse 36. And the Bible tells us in verse 36 that when he finished his sermon, one of the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders of the day, came and approached Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I'll bet you're hungry. Sure enough, I am. He said, you want to come to my home for dinner? Sure I will. Jesus ate with not only the prostitutes and the gangsters, he also ate with the religious and the self-righteous. Jesus was equal opportunity for everybody that needed him. He is the savior of those who think of themselves too good. He is also the savior of those who don't think enough of themselves. Jesus is the savior of the world, and so he goes with these religious self-righteous people to dinner, and as he does, the Bible says he took his place at the table. He went to sit down at the table. Now, as he goes to find his place at the table, he ignores one of the religious rituals of the day, which is to have a ceremonial washing of the hands before you eat. Notice what he does. He sits down at the place of his table, verse 38, and his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand washing of ceremony required by Jewish custom. So they're all sitting down for dinner. Jesus comes in, he sees the bowl where everybody is ritualistically washing and Jesus instead of, he looks at it, walks by, he sits down without washing his hands. Now, this is not a hygienic problem. How many of you agree Jesus has good hygiene? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen, okay. This is not about the fact that he was not being hygienic. It was about the fact that they had created a ritual that they believed elevated them to moral superiority. You were a better person, and God liked you more if you washed your hands in a certain way. Isn't this what religion does? If you do it, not this this way. (laughs) You got to do it this way. You're not just physically cleaner, you are spiritually cleaner. You are morally superior to all the people around you. Don't you feel better about yourself? So this is what Jesus does. Jesus comes in. He sits down at the table. Everybody's watching, and he does not wash his hands. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus did this on purpose, yes or no? Yeah, I think so, too. How many of you have a little bit of a spirit of sarcasm inside of you, given by God? How many of you know what I mean? You have it's a little bit. Then you're going to love this part of Jesus, right? Jesus comes in. He knows what they're doing, and he's like, "So you think you're morally superior? I'm Jesus." And he sits down without washing his hands. and And the Bible tells us that the host of the feast notices that Jesus does not wash his hands. I almost want. I wonder if Jesus kind of like looked him in the eye. You know, looked down at his hands, looked up at the guy. Maybe he starts to reach for the hummus. (laughs) The guy's like, no, no, no. He's like, "Mm, it's happening. (laughs) Grabs the hummus, sticks his finger in the hummus, pulls it back to himself. Jesus isn't being intentionally cruel. Jesus is not ignoring the culture of the day. He's sticking his finger in the eye of the religious elite who thought themselves morally superior because of the rituals and the rules they created, none of which were found in the Bible because that's what religions do. They create preferences based upon what they feel are principles found in the Word of God, and then they lock other people up in these principles and make them follow and believe themselves to be morally superior. To do this, to do this would be like you and I walking into an Amish church, and as a man I choose to sit on the side with all the women, purposefully. This would be like you or I going into a Buddhist temple and turning our back on the idol, on purpose. This would be like you and I going into a mosque and refusing to take off our shoes, This would be like you or I going into a church that only preaches from a certain Bible version like the KJV and preaching from the NIV instead. It is an idea of purposefully poking at a religious rule that is not found in the Bible that people hold as sacred and morally superior than all of the plebs who don't know the rules we've made up. This is a Religious trap and it's a trap that many people fall into. Unfortunately, I've fallen into it myself Let me stay this this way Preferences are okay, but when you elevate your preference to the level of the Bible You have destroyed your relationship and you are now following a religion Preferences are okay. I have preferences so do you Let's let's get real and talk about a few things. Like, let's talk about, like, smoking, right? I grew up in a Baptist church, so I always heard smoking was like, you know, if you smoke, you smell like the devil and you're going to go where he goes. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) not necessarily a big fan of smoking. I'm not a smoker myself. But let me ask you a question. Is somebody morally superior because they smoke or they don't smoke? No. No. They might get to heaven faster than the rest of us, but they're not... (laughs) Morally superior, because they love God. They want to get there. They want to get there quicker. Just, just kidding. I'm joking. Quit being so offended. Or what about? Or what about like this? uh, Certain people they have a certain diet, right? Like I'm not going to eat meat. I don't eat meat. I don't eat animals. Don't eat animals. I don't eat animals. If God didn't want you to eat animals, why did he make them out of meat? Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> That's what I feel. I... Some dude back there is like, I knew I liked this guy. <laughs> He's back there cutting a steak right now, eating it. <laughs> I drive a Prius. My carbon footprint is smaller than your carbon footprints. Now look, stop. Hear me. It's totally cool to have a preference, but if you think your preference elevates you morally above the people around you, then you have fallen into the trap of religion. You are walking the road of religion. You say, well, then what do I, how do I tell what is actually good and bad? Well God gave us a book to figure that out. If the Bible says it, there you go. If it doesn't say it, then it's your preference. And religion elevates preferences to the level of biblical authority. I hurt. I hurt because some of you have actually experienced this kind of religious harm. Some of you grew up Catholic and somebody in your family went through a divorce. And the moment you went through a divorce, everybody shunned you. Or some of you grew up in the Mormon faith and one of your children did not grow, go on mission at the age of 18 and because they didn't go on mission, everybody shunned you. Or some of you grew up Baptist like I did and you went to the movie theater. <gasps> <laughs> this is true, I grew up, I grew up Baptist and, and you could not go to the movie theater. The rule was, no movie theater, second opinions, chapter 12, verse 7. No movie theater. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Do you remember this, Jeremy? You remember. (laughs) Jurassic Park in the theater? Bad. One year later, Jurassic Park in Blockbuster Video. Totally fine. (laughs) So you could go into Blockbuster. It's true, Jeremiah? You go into Blockbuster. You could rent it, bring it home. Same movie, but that was morally acceptable. And if you did this, you were the good Christian. Not like those other Christians who go to the movie theater. Say, really? Here's why. Because again. You walk the road of religion, religion elevates preferences to the place of scripture. It's dark and it's problematic. Not only do they elevate preferences to the place of scripture, number two, number two, the external is highlighted. Number two, the external is highlighted while the internal is neglected. Religion tries to make you fit a mold on the outside. Religion cares more about what you look like on the outside than who you are on the inside. This is why the temptation, even in a church like ours, is to walk in, put a mask on, and pretend everything is perfect. I'm fine, I'm fine. Look at what happens with Jesus. Remember, he's sitting at this table. He just stuck his finger in the hummus or something. And verse 39, then the Lord said unto the Pharisee, uh, look how bold Jesus is. You Pharisees, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is filthy, full of greed and wickedness. I can picture Jesus, he was, a, he was an illustrative preacher, meaning he would have physical um, props a lot. And he grabbed a cup, I could imagine, and he said, you Pharisees, you're so serious. You religious people, you're so serious about cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside it's disgusting, you're filled inside of you with greed and wickedness. God helps Southern Hills not to become a place that is so so eternally focused on the external and we neglect the internal man, verse 40. Jesus then says, fools. Oh my word, Jesus, what? Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? For you love to sit in your seats of honor in the synagogue and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplace. Do you know what religious people love? They love reputation and recognition. They love special seats. And back then they would, within the synagogue setting, there were special seats only for the most important religious, godly, moral people. And if you were just the bad people, you would sit in certain. By the way, the church was really tempted to do this too. And Pastor James in the epistle of James says, the church will not have special seats for people with wealth and bad seats for people without wealth. Won't do it. James deals with this. Man, what a problem this is. They want reputation and recognition. Look at what he says. You receive respectful greetings in the marketplace as you walk. They love titles. As you're going through the marketplace, hello, hello, rabbi. Hello, Pharisee. Do you know how the New Testament helps the church with this? The titles of those who lead the New Testament church, look at the titles. The titles are minister. It's my favorite title when I introduce myself to people. They say, what do you do? I say, I'm a minister. Why do I say that? Because what minister means is I serve the people. By serving God, I minister to people. Even the word pastor. You know what the word pastor means? It means shepherd. We think, ooh, pastor. You know what a pastor was? A pastor was a shepherd. The most despised group of people during the days of Jesus were called the Bedouin shepherds because they were near homeless, and they would stay out in the middle of the desert with their sheep and smell bad all night because all they did was care about taking care of the sheep. And so Jesus says, you want to know what my leaders of the church are called? They're called Bedouin shepherds. Then he says, okay, the shepherds need help, so let's create an entire group of people called deacons you know what the word deacon is? It's a transliteration of the Greek word dekanos. Dekanos, which means servant, literally, literally servant. So now somebody becomes a deacon and you go to Thanksgiving with your family, you're like, yeah, they're making me a deacon. And people go, ooh. You're like, no, it kind of just means slave of the church. That's what it means. <laughs> Pastor asked me to do something like clean the toilets or whatever, that's what I do. You say, you make deacons clean the toilets? No, I don't, because they're servants. They choose to clean the toilets. They choose to help people. Don't you see? The church is supposed to flip all of religion on its head. But now what we've done after 2,000 years is we've codified these words, and we've established that pastors and deacons mean that we're the spiritual elite, and nothing can be further from the truth. Verse 47 or excuse me, verse 44, yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption that they are stepping on. Jesus said, he's sitting at dinner. He says, you don't even know what you're like. He said, you want me to tell you what you're like? He said, you're like those who are walking around on, in a field and you have no idea you're stepping on graves. You say, why is that a problem? One of the religious rituals of this religious society was to make sure they avoided walking on any graves. Not because it's rude, which it is rude in our culture, but because they believed it morally corrupted them. Somehow they believed if you touched the ground around which a body was buried, you became morally compromised, which means God doesn't like you more because you touched something that a dead person touched. And so these people thought they were great, so they would never walk near any kind of a graveyard. And Jesus is like, don't you know that where you live, people have lived for thousands of years and there are dead people buried all over that you don't even know about and you're accidentally stepping on all sorts of sacred ground all of the time, which means you're morally corrupt and you don't even know it. Even those of us who think ourselves to be religious, more important than the rest of you, so high and mighty, look at all the rules. You're constantly offending God in sins you didn't even know were sins. You say, man, it seems like if that's the case, it seems like my my situation is hopeless. Yeah. Your religious situation is totally hopeless and so is mine. That's the darkness of the religious path. You cannot do enough religious good deeds nor enough ritualistic good works to impress God. Because every time you do, you do 12 things by accident you did not even know you were damning yourself for. And Jesus is sitting at the dinner looking at these guys. You say, then what do I do? What's the answer? What's the answer? The answer is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus and Him alone for your salvation, friend, is to forsake your religious rituals and fall in love with walking with Jesus on a daily basis. He sees the inside, and He wants you to focus on the inside, not the outside. Number one. The four dark consequences of walking the road of religion, number one, preferences are elevated. Number two, the external is highlighted. Number three, hypocrisy is tolerated. There are some in this room who have had such religious harm and hurt because you were in a situation where those who preached morality actually committed immoral acts against you. Hypocrisy was tolerated. You know what's not tolerated in a religious setting? What's not tolerated is differences. What's not tolerated is discussion. What's not tolerated is questions. What is tolerated is hypocrisy. In fact, it's almost commonplace. Look at what happens in this verse, verse 44. Jesus just looked at them, if you remember, Jesus just looked at them and said, you're a bunch of filthy cups on the inside and you don't even know how corrupt you are. This is at dinner. These people are very, very pious and very, very, and so Jesus kind of blows it all up. And I love the response of verse 45, teacher, said one of the experts in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. I like like this, teacher, when you say these things, it insults us too. Correct. In fact, that's exactly what it says in the very next verse. He says, look what Jesus responds. Teacher, I'm not sure that you meant to, but you insulted us too. Jesus says, yep, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. That was kind of the point of what I said. I can just picture the rabbi there. Oh, man, Jesus is getting himself into trouble. I'm sorry, guys. I really thought what he said out there was really good. But now that he's talking to us, this is a problem. Teacher, teacher, rabbi, <laughs> excuse me. I'm not sure you realize that what you're saying, you're saying about us. <laughs> um, and, you know, look at Simon over there. He's crying. You made Simon cry. I know this wasn't your intent. Jesus, if you could just apologize, I'm sure everybody would feel so much better about what you said. This happens to me sometimes. Like um, I'm preaching a sermon, and I'll get a I'll get an email a couple days later, and uh, or a text message, and they're like, "Hey, pastor, that was an interesting sermon, but when you were talking, I felt like you were like ta- saying that right to me." Uh huh. No, but what you said, I mean, that like that that was like, man, it was like you were talking right to me. Yes, and, yes. And, and, (laughs) you say, but you didn't even know, you didn't even know what was going on in my life. No, I only know some of you. The church has grown so much. I don't know all of you, but God knows you intimately, and he loves you so much. And when the word of God is preached properly, the Holy Spirit of God will take it and will point it right at your heart and will stab you with it. And you'll be like, hey. Ouch! I like when he hurts other people, that hurt me. And the big mistake is to think it was an accident. It wasn't an accident. And, it was, and the other mistake is to think that Josh had some sort of master plan, like he talked to your wife before church, you know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't my plan, trust me, I'm just along for the ride too. It was God's plan to speak through me the word of God to your heart, and you're supposed to sit back and say, Ouch, oh, that was for me. Yes, it was. What are you going to do with it? So Jesus looks at him and says, Yes, Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, experts of religious law? For you crush people with your unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease their burden. Jesus said, this is your problem, religious people. You've got a huge list of rules that nobody even knows. And you expect everybody to follow them. At this point, they had 613 rules in this religion. 613. And Jesus knew all of these people. And he's he's saying to them, you don't even follow them. But you make them follow the rules that you don't even follow. And you know deep in your heart you don't follow them. This is what religion does. Hypocrisy is tolerated. Verse 47. What sorrow awaits you for you build monuments to the prophets that your own ancestors killed long ago. Jesus said, can I explain what hypocrites... He's sitting at dinner. This is crazy. Think about this. And he looks across the table. He said, can I tell you what hypocrites you are? He said, you your great, 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 great grandfathers slaughtered the prophets for preaching the truth to you. And now you're building monuments to those same prophets. From Jesus' perspective, as the eternal Son of God, He watched all this play out. 750 years ago, these people's own great, 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 great grandparents, they took Isaiah the prophet And they cut him in half because Isaiah was bold enough to preach the truth. They took Jeremiah a couple hundred years later. They threw him in a pit. And Jeremiah fell down in the pit. And he sunk in the mud. And then they pulled him out and they stoned him to death because Jeremiah preached the truth. Then a hundred years later, they took a guy named Zechariah. They dragged him to the temple. And in front of the temple itself, they stoned Zechariah to death because he preached the truth. And now Jesus is looking in the eyes of these people who look just like their great, great grandparents, and he's like, you guys are building monuments saying, if we were our grandparents, we would have never killed a prophet from God. And Jesus is like, here I am. These would be the same people who would later on, just a year later, put Jesus to death. Hypocrisy. Are you about to fall in the trap? Say, what's the trap? The trap is to look at those people as if those people would do that. Oh, friend, you just fell into the trap because you would do exactly the same thing and so would I. Do you know why? Because every human down to its core is essentially the same. We are hypocritical. We are religiously ritualistic. We want everybody to think how great we are while we privately sin against God. And there's only one antidote to pride. Do you know what it is? Humility. This kind of religious pride can only go away by you purposefully humbling yourself. Just like I often say the only antidote to greed is generosity. Like you say, I struggle with greed. Cool, give away all your money. It'll solve the problem. You know the antidote to pride? Be humble. Tell people how screwed up you are. Sometimes religious people get offended at Southern Hills because I'll tell stories about my own problems. Like a couple weeks ago, I talked about how Heather and I had a fight, and we ran from each other, had a huge fight. Remember that? That really offends religious people. Pastor, they need to view you in a certain way. Religion, hypocrisy. So if you don't like those stories, I'm going to give you another. Here we go. <laughs> this happened like literally like 10 days ago. Jeffrey, I'm, I'm driving down Blue Diamond Road. I have to go to Walgreens on the way home, and I'm tired. I'm late. I'm irritated. You ever been tired, late, and irritated? You ever been tired, late, irritated, and had to go to Walgreens? <laughs> Gee, man. Had to stop at Walgreens, had to pick up one thing, one thing. I went in, found the thing, went up to the line. There's four or five people. Fine, I'll look at my phone. Look at my phone, look at my phone. Two more people, look at my phone, look at my phone. One more person, finally get up there. I put it down. All I want to do, it should be, why is this so hard? I just want to buy the thing and go. I put it down, and he says, uh, hey, bro, what's your phone number? And I said, is this necessary? He said, yeah, I got to put it in the thing. Fine. Phone number. I gave him my phone number. Bro, it doesn't look like you're in our system, man. <laughs> I'm like, all right. He said, "What's your name, bro?" I said, "My name is Josh." What's your last name? <laughs> Tice, spelled T-E-I-S. And he was one of these guys with like, T-E. And I'm like, oh Lord, help me. He said, that's great. And I'm like, can I, can I buy and go now? Can I go? And I was getting short, like I'm not, I was getting, I was rude. I said, can I go now? And he said, what's your email? <laughs> Jeez, my email. And I looked him square in the eye and said, I don't have one. <laughs> I lied to that man. I, stra- I wasn't kidding. I wasn't like, haha, joke, I don't have one. I lied to him. He said, you don't have an email? come on, bro. (laughs) And then he called me Josh, because he knew my name. Josh, you got an email. (laughs) And I'm like, fine, fine. He's like, what's your email? I'm like, my email is josh at (laughs) gmail.com. He started to put it in. Josh, and then he looked up, he's like, your email is josh at gmail.com. And I looked at him, I said, Yeah, I was an early adopter. I was first in line. Josh at gmail.com, that's my email. He's like, all right, Josh at gmail.com. I grabbed my stuff. I was so irritated. I started walking out, and he he was great. He was hilarious the whole time. As I walked out, he said, Goodbye, Josh at (laughs) gmail.com. He was a jerk. Was rude. Some poor guy just trying to take care of his family irritated. I lied. Say, why do you tell us that? Here's why. And genuinely, here's why I share my struggles. It's because it helps me not become an arrogant, bloated, religious, lots of bad words. (laughs) When I humble myself and say, I want you to understand where I really struggle, it's because I want you to open up and share where you really struggle too. The road of religion is all about masks, hypocrisy, and pretending that we're all better than everybody else. The road of relationship is my only chance with God is with Jesus Christ. And with Jesus, I just got to be honest, because the only good that I have in me is the fact that I get to walk with Him down this road. I'm bad. He's awesome. And I'm just going to keep walking down. Here's the problem. As a Christian, you keep looping back to the same crossroad over and over and over. And you have a choice over and over. Will I walk the path of relationship with God, or do I now put on the mask and pretend to walk with God through ritualistic rituals, going to church, reading my Bible, doing communion? Whatever it is your flavor of Christianity is, I'll just do the religious rituals. Careful. There's only darkness down that road. Yeah? Which leads us to point number four, and then we got to go. These are the four dark consequences of walking the road of religion. Preferences are elevated, external is highlighted, hypocrisy is tolerated, and the path becomes complicated. The problem with the road of religion is it's so complicated, it's so impossible to set out the rules, to know the rules, to follow the rules, and then to keep up with all the new created rules. And then when the rules don't matter anymore, no, that was a rule for 30 years ago. That was a rule for 20 years ago. We've got new rules now. It's too complicated. You see, religion is the great counterfeit. It promises an alternative way to God when there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus says in verse 52, what sorrow awaits you, experts of religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge. Wow, this is terrible. You remove the key to knowledge. Mm. You don't go into the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from going in as well. He says to religious people, your problem is that you remove the key to knowledge. You say, what's the key to knowledge? The answer is simple faith. The key to knowledge and understanding is simple faith, like a child believes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Also, I have 500 other things you need to do for salvation. Wrong religious rituals and hypocrites and Pharisees and religious leaders, they steal away the key to knowledge, which is simple faith. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever does all of the rules will go to heaven. Is that what it says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting They remove the key of knowledge with His simple faith. Isn't that what Paul said to the Philippians? See, the Philippians were a church that started to think of themselves very, very highly.